Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. This week, we'll be getting lots of tips for starting out in war reporting. Wars in Ukraine and Gaza have dominated the news agenda in the past couple of years. One journalist that has been to both is Andrea Backhouse, a freelance war correspondent with 10 years of experience. She shares with us her lessons learned, reflecting on her first taste of conflict reporting in Egypt during the Arab Spring a decade ago, right through to the current situation in Israel and Palestine. We'll be going over all the things that rookies often don't think about. Safety considerations, bias and balance, mental health, and much more. That's all coming up, so don't go anywhere. Andrea, welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you ever so much for coming on to the show. Thank you so much, Jacob, for having me. It's great to have a listener on the show as well. Um, so thanks for checking out the show and uh, lovely to have you here today. Uh, we're going to talk a lot today about the experiences of being a war correspondent. Um, I know this is something you've got a lot of experience with. You've spent more than 10 years uh, in this space. Why don't you take us back to your first experience going into a war zone, I believe in Egypt. Um, tell us more about that. Yeah, that is correct. So I started off as a young reporter during the Arab Spring, you know, and it was just very fascinating to see um, how the peaceful demonstrators in Northern Africa and the Middle East stood up to their dictators, really, and toppling one dictator after the other in Tunisia, Egypt, Libya. So I moved to Egypt after Mubarak had been ousted and um, Mohamed Mursi was in power at that time. And it was like kind of like a tra- transitional period. And I happened to be there when Sisi staged a coup and pushed Morsi out of office and took over as a new president slash new dictator, which he still is until today. So it was a very explosive time and to be there with lots of demonstrations in the streets um, and lots of like, you know, uh, snipers being on rooftops because there was a crackdown on the demonstrators by the regime forces and everybody opposing Sisi. So it was a very loaded, very heated time. Um, mass arrests happening, lootings, etc. So I was caught in the middle of all of this, pretty much. And I wasn't prepared for it at all, I have to say, because it was rather unexpected. Um, so it wasn't really a war zone, you know, there wasn't like bombs falling or drone attacks, but it was like was still very much like a war zone, I would say, because, you know, the extreme violence on all sides. So you just happened to be living there at the time. You weren't you weren't sent in. You were just living there. Exactly. And then this this huge sort of political uprising had happened on your doorstep. A field day probably for a journalist. Um, were, were you freelance at the time or, you were, or, or were you working with an organisation? I was freelancing at the time and I really just started, you know, as a young reporter. It was my, the first country I moved to as a reporter. I was freelancing. I wasn't quite sure yet what to expect, really. Um and obviously not this like level of violence and clashes going on, um, you know, and then being a female in that circumstances as well, like added up on, you know, the dangers as well that I didn't really, I didn't really think about it too much before I moved there, I guess. Um, but it was really frightening, you know, as well, because like you were like down, like in the streets, you know, trying to do interviews and being surrounded by mobs, really, by large groups of people like you know trying to attack you soldiers you know um police forces security forces all men 
you know, trying to attack you because like in such a hostile environment, you're being seen as the enemy, obviously, because you try to, you know, you're bearing witness to a crackdown, you're bearing witness to human rights abuses. Um, so everybody would just try to attack you. And I wasn't prepared for that at no. all. No, but you were young, but you I suppose you were probably also very hungry to, to get stories. You were hungry to maybe prove yourself or make a name for yourself or, you know, find a story, do make a difference at, at this time. Yeah, yeah. It was not so much that I was thinking about my career, to be honest, but just I think if you have the reporter gene in you, I think you just want to be there. I, I love that, the reporter gene. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think you're just born with it or not, probably. And, you know, so I felt the urge like to go to places, to see it for myself, being in the middle of a demonstration, um, you know, being in the middle of a crackdown and just talk to witnesses, talk to survivors, talk to everybody involved really and yeah this was really important to me at the time did you get yourself into dangerous situations constantly i would say um because it was still a bit unexpected i would say at that time um you know um let's say there were snipers all over the place on the rooftops and you wouldn't really know you know who they would shoot and they did target journalists i mean we know that in conflict areas like journalists are being targeted specifically and um, I was not naive in that sense at all, but I think I underestimated sometimes the danger of it, you know. And um, yeah. but yeah, there were there were situations, um, you know, many situations to be honest. So I was attacked physically um, by mobs, you know, and by only men, I would say, you know, uh, just um, yeah, like you know, surrounding you, attacking you um, because you are a woman. And you are asking critical questions and you are a journalist, you know, so. You're a freelance on your own. It's not like you've got an institutional backing behind you. Exactly. So you've got a lot of things working against you in that scenario, which is, must be very frightening. Exactly. Yes. And so you do have this danger in the streets, but you also have a regime that is trying to push journalists out of the country. So I was, you know, my phone was tapped. Um, I was followed in the streets, you know, and there was um, another thing as well that um, made it very difficult, I think, uh, for me starting off. Like, you know, that you have a big responsibility, not only for yourself, but as well for your sources and the people you are interviewing. So what happened a couple of times was, you know, I finished an interview and then I got like a call, you know, half an hour later that the person I just talked to, like, had been arrested, you know, and then they were released eventually. But, you know, it's just like it makes very clear from the beginning like what a big responsibility you have for other people as well the people that you talk to you interview because you are being followed as a journalist um and this happens in so many places until today um you know and you have to protect them and this is something i learned very early on you know in egypt that's something that really stick with me yeah but it also sounds like you did a did a brilliant job out there as well so were there any really defining career lessons from that experience? I would say there were quite a few. I think the first thing was for me. So before I moved to Egypt, I did, um, you know, a, a hostel environment training, which I think is really, really important. Just for yourself as well, like, you know, you know, these kind of trainings where you are being kidnapped and then you do role plays. And, you know, it's just, it's more like to see if you do have the mental 
capacity, I guess, or the mindset, you know, to do that. Um, and many people don't, and they should be honest about it because like, if you are in a dangerous situation, you have to function, you know what I mean? If that makes sense. Um, and for some people, it's not the right job because, you know, they would panic. They would not think clearly. They would, you know, I don't know, do stupid things, you know? And so I think this training for me, at least it helped me even before I arrived in Egypt, okay, I think I can handle that. So, and this came in quite handy, to be honest. Another thing is, um, and I can't stress that enough that I learned very early on as well, is that you know, that you should know about first ad and you should be an expert on first ad, to be honest. It's very underrated. It's very underestimated, you know, the impact of that. This is one thing that does this, that often comes back when you speak to all correspondents is that they have the physical preparation, but it's the mental preparation, which is often underestimated. And I don't know if there is anything you can do to mentally prepare for the aftermath of being in, a, in an environment like that. But was that your experience? And did anything help? I think nobody and nothing really prepares you for such an such a level of violence, really. It's such an escalation. Um, I think it's something that you just experience and then you see, you know, whether you can take it or not, really. Um, and even though I did this training before in Germany, you know, um, I, I wasn't prepared for that at all. And I think, you know, it, it, it does take a toll on you, um, which is something you realize later on. But, you know, and then for some people, I think they, they come to the realization that for them, it's maybe not the right job. But for me, it, it still was like it was still, you know, worth it. But you'd been living there. So it's not like you actively went there looking to pursue this type of journalism. So right. was there a point when you decided, yes, I do want to do this, you know, really hard type of journalism that puts me at risk? Was there a decision in your mind to do that? That's a very good point, Jacob. I think, you know, because I think for most of my colleagues, I would say is it's not really an active decision like that you wake up in the morning and you're like, okay, I'm going to be a war correspondent, you know. I think it's more, it happens more naturally, like it happened to me. So all of a sudden you're in a situation that is escalating, you know, and you're in the midst of it. Um, and for me, it was just like clear, of, you know, in Egypt, I think I realized that this is what I want to do. Uh, I want to bear witness. I want to be the ice on the ground, which sounds a bit cliche. I want to see what is happening to people, you know, and how they manage to survive it and go on with their lives. And I think this is something that's still motivating me until today, really. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, but it's not, I, and I have to be very clear on that, you know, it's not about seeking ad adventure. It's not about seeking, you know, wow, like what, you know, excitement or adrenaline or something. And I know some people do that for these reasons, and I, I don't like it at all. Um, but for me, it was never the motivation to do that. Um, I hate being close to a front line. I hate being close to bombardment. Um, but it's just part of the job, you know. And if you want to do the story, it's important to be able to deal with it physically and mentally. Yeah. You know, was the motivation that you know what's the alternative? You know, I can't just stand by and not be a part of this. Otherwise, I'm, you know, this is an act of omission, really, in, in what's going on. Exactly. I think, and for me, that was never the question to really drop out, um, you know, because there's so much happening um, and it is important that we are there and we are not only, you know, seeing the information on social media, but that we go there, we go to these places 
and we speak to people um, who experience it like firsthand. Um, and I think it, it would always be necessary to do that, um, to, yeah, to, to, to see what is happening, to understand the context and speak to different parties involved in a conflict as well. Each conflict is complicated and unique. With Ukraine, the world watched in disbelief as Russia attacked a much smaller country that was no direct threat. The conflict between Israel and Palestine, however, spans decades and it's becoming more complicated with each new attack on either side. The polarising aspect of the war between Israel and Palestine is certainly one of the more challenging parts, but so too is the lack of access to Gaza, as it's being blocked by the Israeli military. The only way in is through what's known as embeds, as in to go in embedded with the Israeli army. Some journalists will do this, but for Andrea, it simply isn't an option. Here's why. They would take you maybe for one or two hours into Gaza, and some journalists did it. I do see why they would do it, um, you know. And yeah, and then they would show you like a particular like scene or, you know, area. But it's not really what I what I like to do. But, but you wouldn't do it because you wouldn't go in embedded with the army. Why, why not? Um, because it doesn't show you the full picture, does it? Um, it just shows you a very tiny um, spot, you know, and they only show you what they think you should see. I mean, it's, you know, they are they are part of the war. And, you know, I, I, I just don't like that. It doesn't give you any idea of what's really happening. You are not allowed to talk to civilians. And this is my main job, I would say. Um, it doesn't give you any idea of what's really going on on the ground, you know. So it's a very orchestrated, like, kind of situation. And it's just not independent journalism at all. So, um, you know, I'm not saying it's completely wrong to do that. But just for myself, I don't do it. Yeah, makes makes complete sense. Yeah. When you compare yourself to the reporter you were 10 years ago and to now, when you when you do a story like Israel and Gaza, what do you think is the main difference in terms of how you're approaching it now? What what has your experience taught you? I think what I'm much more aware of now is that you know, you should never be the story. I mean, you should never be I think you should never sacrifice yourself for a story. And which is something that's very trivial, perhaps, but I think I'm much more aware of that fact, um, you know, to understand the situation. So I now, in the past weeks, I reported mainly from the West Bank, um, and it's also a very explosive atmosphere over there, um, because, like, the Israeli army is attacking um, Palestinians in the villages and the refugee camps. So there's lots of violence, lots of, you know, anger and like, on both sides, really. But lots of attacks as well, um, you know, and just to understand the context more, I would say, and to see what you can do and what you cannot do as well, you know. And when I was starting off as a young reporter, I, I was not naive, but, you know, I would say maybe not that aware of like how dangerous a specific situation can be. For example, you approach a checkpoint in the West Bank, you approach soldiers that are like, who are like maybe 80, 19 years old, super young, and they are completely, you know, um, overwhelmed by what's happening. And maybe they have the finger on the trigger, you know, and they just point the gun at you and then boom, it happens. And this is, you know, what happens much more than that you will be hit by a bomb or by a drone, you know what I mean? So it's um, these like situations that are being 
underestimated quite a lot, but now I'm much more aware of it yeah. because I, I've seen things happening and I know what can happen. So it's, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to be there, isn't it? It's another thing for it to actually be a reality, I suppose. Yes. And I think something I learned over the years is um, also that it's very important who you work with. Um, so you usually work in a team, right? So you do work with, you know, a translator, maybe a local producer, a driver who takes it to places. Um, in the beginning, I wasn't so aware of like how important it is, like that everybody in the team is on the same level if it comes to experience in a war zone or conflict area. And it is so important um, because it can put you in a very difficult spot if they are not experienced at all. Um, you know, let's say you are encountering a very dangerous situation and they just don't know what to do or they are not prepared to do first act because they just don't know how to do it. And because it's a life and death situation, you're very much dependent on your teammates as well. So now I spend much more time, you know, like really figuring out who I want to work with um, because it can be a life or death, you know, situation. This is going to feel like a strange word to use, but do you have a favorite story that you've that you've been able to to cover? I mean, favorite in the sense of one that you're most proud of or that you're, you know, glad that you told in some way? I mean, I went to Gaza before the war, uh, three, four years back. Um, I did a story about young people in Gaza who are like against all odds were trying to build up a future for themselves, you know, uh, young entrepreneurs, um, a young man who had started a startup in Gaza City, um, a musician who has been very critical about Hamas and he's been in prison many, many times. Um, you know, like so many incredible people and I'm and now looking back, you know, and uh, seeing the destruction in Gaza and, you know, and the war raging, um, I'm very glad I did that, you know, to at least um, show another side as well, because like in, in the Western media, there is a tendency to dehumanize Palestinians. And um, I do have quite a big problem with that. And I really always try to, you know, uh, to do stories um, about people and with people, you know, who were doing amazing things as well, because this is part of, of the Palestinian society, you know. What I mentioned earlier as well, you know, when you talk to people who are critical about the ruling party, you always have to make sure that they will be safe after you left, you know. Well, this is it. I'm sure they don't make themselves that well well known for that very reason. So how did you find out about that story? Uh, so I talked to many different people and um, I, I was in touch with some local producers as well in Gaza who are and were very well connected. Mm -hmm. um, it's a small place, you know, Gaza is, is a tiny place really. And so it's not like everybody knows everybody, but, you know, many people know each other. So, you know, and I had this idea in mind to speak to the younger generation and to really see, you know, what they are trying to build for themselves. So there were a few things I had in mind, but then also talking to local producers on the ground, you know, and they were suggesting some ideas of people they knew already. Um, and but for me also, it was clear to that I wanted to speak to um, somebody from the Hamas as well, you know, um, and to get an understanding of what, what their mindset is really. And that was very difficult to do. And it happened, if I remember correctly, 
through somebody I knew in Gaza and they were uh, in touch with family members of that guy. And, you know, so they were helping me. Connections of connections and connections. Yeah, yeah. this is usually how it works. Connections, this is how it works. How did he respond to you reaching out? Was he like apprehensive about talking to the press? Was he willing to speak to you? What was What was that like? Not at all. He didn't. He didn't want to talk to me at first, uh, I believe. And it took probably a couple of weeks for him to decide. Okay, maybe I, I I can do that. It was a very difficult interview, anyways, because like he at one point accused me of being an Israeli spy, and he pretty much threw me out. Uh, and he's. I mean, I don't know where he is right now, and I don't know what's he been doing. You know, since October seventh. Um, but he's, you know, I, it was a very shocking interview, not shocking in a way of like, I was surprised to hear about all the hatred he has for the Jews and Israel. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a terrifying interview because I already got a sense of, you know, how uh, radicalized these people are. Yeah. How did you yeah. deal with the fact of being chucked out of the interview? I did expect it, yeah. you know. I, in fact, I was surprised. I, I, I don't remember exactly how long I talked to him, but for quite a while, I was able to get a few questions across, and um, you know, and I didn't quite expect that at all. I mean, he didn't give me a sound, you know. He wasn't shaking my hand because I'm a woman, and he was, you know, not really looking at me because he's despising women. So, I, I but I knew that already. I think this is one of the things that um, that's very important in a conflict area, like. You need to know your shit. You need to know who you talk to. You need to know what you get yourself into. Um, you have to understand the context. So I did expect him to throw me out at one point. I was surprised he, you know, he already like he talked to me for for that long. You know, maybe twenty minutes or so. Have you just learned not to take it personally, sort of thing, and just to detach yourself from the situation? In this particular situation, yes, absolutely, because I knew it's not about Andrea, but it's about me representing to him the Western media, maybe the Western governments, because this is what happens quite a lot, you know, um, that people would see you as a representation of your government, of your politicians, of your society, but not see you as a human being. So, um, mm -hmm. but then there are other th situations where I find it very difficult, like jumping back to Israel, Gaza now, for example, is different in that regard because people do attack me personally um, because they've known me for a long time because I've been in the region for a very long time. And, um, you know, and they might be frustrated because I'm not, you know, um, publishing stories in favor of their narrative, you know what I mean? So, and this is a different thing. So I would distinguish here between, you know, a situation where it's clear, you know, you talk to Hamas terrorists who obviously don't like Western journalists. And this is completely detached from who I am. But then you have situations where people attack you for Andrea, you know, because they don't like the way you report. Yeah. And, uh, and that can be challenging. I'm not going to lie. It is. But you, as you've observed already, I mean, it's a very polarizing environment. And I imagine for a journalist being sat in the middle, you can't, well, you, I mean, you're not supposed to please everyone, but you can't by nature, by definition of your job, you're not there to favor one side or the other. And you're very much caught in the middle. 
and probably facing abuse from all, all sides. You know, have you encountered that? And what did you do about it, if so? Absolutely, 100%. I think I, I've come to understand, you know, that we have to live with that. We are not here to please anybody. Uh, and our role is very clear. We are not politicians. We are not diplomats. You know, I'm not an activist. And this is something that people like accuse me of you know why are you not being more active but i'm not i'm not an activist i'm not joining marches i'm not waving flags um i'm not calling for boycott you know this is not my role and you know especially now with this like really um heated debates going on as well in europe you know regarding the the conflict in, in israel gaza i i can't stress it enough you know even to friends even to people i know personally who would be like what is your role andrea as a journalist and i have to explain it to them over and over again and i'm doing that because i find it important for them to understand you know where i'm coming from and me and my colleagues what we are doing you know in this conflict as well so of course i try to talk to to as many people as possible. Of course, I talk to people who I don't like personally, but this is not what it's about. I'm a journalist, so of course I talk to different sides, but then you get attacked, you know, you talk to Palestinians and then you get attacked by Israelis and then you speak to Israelis and then you're being attacked by Palestinians. So no matter what you do, it's always wrong yeah. to, to somebody, you know. So, and yeah. It's something you have to live with, but it is it is challenging. I'm not going to lie. Well, 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 it comes back to your point before about the need for solidarity amongst your colleagues, because in a, in a moment like that, I'm sure it's very isolating and probably quite overwhelming. And the, and there, you know, you need people to be able, that you can fall back on and rely on to to support you in that moment. Absolutely, I agree, hundred um, percent. I think it's very important to create like a sort of like a support system. Um, anyways, you know, for if you work as a war reporter, conflict reporter, it's very important to have that because it does affect your mental health. It really, really does. And, um, you know, and it's a combination of things like you do see terrible things happening on the ground. Plus, you are being attacked, maybe physically, and then you are being attacked, you know, in social media and you know, um, through hate speech and, and so on. So it is important to talk about it. I wish there would be more room for that uh, also among journalists, because sometimes I feel it's still a bit of a taboo, to be honest, you know, because it's a very competitive industry, isn't it? Yeah, and for sure. sometimes, you know, I feel like people are not really willing to open up about it. Um, but, you know, when we talk about mental health, which is a very big thing in, in war reporting, it is. I mean, um, I would say most of my colleagues or many of my colleagues um, do struggle with mental health at one point, you know, um, or if we talk about PTSD, uh, the post-traumatic, um, you know, stress syndrome, which I also suffer from, you know, and I'm being honest about it, but many people are not honest about it. So I mm. wish there would be more, more honesty about it. You said suffered. Is that past tense? Are you, are you doing better now? I do. I think what you learn over the years is that you, um, develop coping mechanisms. I think that's very important. Um, and, you know, just opening a conversation about it. And this is what I'm really doing now, like much more than I used to, because also there is a bit of a stigma, you know, and I think, um, you know, as well, like many men that work in 
uh, war reporting, and it's still a very male-dominated field of work. You know, it's always like, oh, you know, I got my, myself a drink tonight and that's it, you know. And then, I mean, alcohol and drug abuse, it's not a secret. It's pretty widespread in, in journalism in general and in war reporting in particular. I do see a, a change there. I think now we live in a time where conversations like this are possible or much more than they were before. But it's still a long way to go, you know, and it's a bit like, you know, as a woman, if you speak up and you talk about it, it's a bit like, or maybe you're just too weak for doing the job, you know, um, there is still a bit of um, machism. You do see people um, doing really stupid things as well, you know, and it's a result of that as well. I've seen it. I've seen it. What you, what you mean, putting themselves in needless danger? Sort of... Exactly. Exactly. The glamour of the job uh, and the bravado, but also because they are not dealing with their own issues. And that's a huge, huge risk, you know, not just for themselves, but also for the people they are working with, with the people they are interviewing, and they are putting their lives at, at risk as well. So, you know, it is an important thing to talk about and to address, really. Um, but for myself, yeah, I think, you know, self-care is a is something that's really important, especially when you work in conflict areas. Um, Good. Well, we'll leave our audience with some of those top tips for self-care and coping mechanisms, if you would then, Andrea. Yes, I'm happy to do that. I think for me personally, when I come back from a trip, um, I try to detach myself completely from the conflict I reported on for the weeks before, you know. So I just try to switch off. Uh, social media like stay away from social media for quite a while that really really helps I try not to read comments you know too much anymore um to stay away from it detach myself completely go out into the nature you know it sounds a bit silly but it really really helps you know just you know be in the nature see your friends do anything to unwind and to relax a bit and and stay away from news for a while, you know, and then I think also it's important to understand your own limitations. This is something that you learn over the years, um, because in the beginning you are like, yes, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm going there, I'm going there. And then over time you realize maybe that's not a really good idea and you need more time in between trips as well, you know, um, and to understand when it's too much and too overwhelming and to be okay with it and not to push yourself too much, you know. Um, and then to have a good support system and network and good friends and family and, you know, that support you. That is very, very important, really. Mm. There's some brilliant tips in there, Andrea. Thank you so much for coming on our show, for your honesty and all your advice today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Jacob. It was a pleasure. Today, we spoke about a few things that could be considered cliches. The value of being the eyes on the ground in a war zone that journalists should never be the story, and the need for a strong inner circle. But my takeaway for today is really that there is truth in the cliches, and that there is a good reason these are considered conventional wisdoms, because they stand the test of time, and that these are a lot of the same conclusions that weathered war reporters come to. But that doesn't mean things don't need to change. Conversations about the mental health and coping mechanisms of war reporters are emerging and evolving, and will continue that discussion too. Did you take anything from today? I'd love to know. Find me on LinkedIn, Twitter slash X at JPG Journalism, or email me on jacob at journalism.co.uk. You can check out all of our episodes on all your usual podcast platforms. Just search and subscribe. 
to the journalism.co.uk podcast. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.